0: I'm Blair Bathory, the newest member of the Something Scary team, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Before I begin, I wanted to say that I am so excited to be here. I've been a fan of Something Scary for a long time, and I've been a horror lover all my life. Some of you might know me from my TikToks or YouTube channel, but now I am thrilled to be here helping bring you the spookiest stories and the most frightening tales we can find. I'm also excited to be working with Stephanie Strange, who you will hear from later in this podcast, and you can see her debut episode over at youtube.com snarled. We all possess the ability to be both good and evil, but it's our circumstances that will dictate which path we take. When we're on top, it's much easier to be kind, giving, and sympathetic. But when our luck runs out, when we're desperate, that is when we make deals with the devil. First, a detective asks for help, followed by a battle of demons. Then, the devil's plaything wants company. Finally, in our featured story, the truth yields deadly consequences. We receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send us an email at, something scary at snarl.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcast or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarl. So, want to hear something scary? Deal Deal with the devil. Devil. We all want a safe place to live. Streets we can walk down without looking over our shoulder. But even the police can't stop everything. As in this story, written by Janine. Detectives Francois and Castro looked at the crime scene in front of them. It was a mess. Thank God for the CSIs busily doing their thing. It was frankly hard to tell where one body stopped and another one started. And they were all dealers, all known to us? Castro was asking one of the beat cops who was looking green whilst trying to give the homicide vet some details. This was the third time in as many months that they'd been called to a scene that resembled a Caravaggio painting. The first had been a pair of fraudsters who'd been tricking the elderly out of money for years, but somehow always evading imprisonment. And the second, well, let's just say the parents of the neighborhood didn't shed a tear and no longer told their kids to avoid the street like the plague. Back at the precinct, Francois joked someone was doing their job for them, cleaning up the streets, getting rid of the scourge of society, sorting out what they couldn't do with all the red tape and lack of solid evidence. Still, they had a job to do, and even though this vigilante was making the city a safer place, this wasn't Gotham. What gets me the most, Castro added after a meeting with the captain, who was breathing down their necks to get this sorted ASAP? Is how he leaves no prints or trace. Nothing. Nada. Like a goddamn ghost. Francois finished her cold coffee and they decided to call it a night. She and Castro had been partners for years, coming up through the academy together and working narcotics and vice before spending the last 10 on homicide. She'd seen some stuff in her time. The streets seemed to be getting worse, not better. Older folks scared to open their doors. Kids scared to play anywhere but their own yards. But now, it seemed they had their very own Batman. Or woman. It was exactly a month since the last bloodbath when they got the call. No one was sure what to make of it. The captain was waiting when Castro and Francois arrived. What do we got, boss? The captain ushered them inside. There were already a bunch of looky-loos gathering, and it wouldn't be long till someone from the local news showed up. The detective stood at the edge of the room. They couldn't go any further. The floor was a sea of blood. Okay, said Francois, her voice shaking a little. So this is Sully's place, known gang boss, but who's the um, other guy? It was hard to tell from what was left of the torso and the head, which now rested upon a spike, which was just sinew and bone. Underneath were unexplained scorch marks. They'd been found at the previous scenes, and so far, the forensics guys had no clue what had caused them. That was Judge Harpgreaves. Castro headed back out grumbling about the smell, like rotten eggs. Francois stayed with the captain as a CSI photographed various body parts and organs. It looked like Jack the Ripper or a grizzly had been let loose. There had been rumors at the precinct for years that Sully must have someone high up in his pocket. But the judge? That night, when Francois got home, She didn't feel the usual joy of knowing another piece of trash was off the streets. She'd had a badge and a gun to try and make a difference, but the criminal justice system was flawed. After her own mother had become a victim of identity theft, when her own niece had almost been snatched off the street, she decided she needed to do something more, something outside of her jurisdiction. She needed a higher force. At first, She had no idea if the sigil would even work. Whilst browsing the dark web, looking for a trail of evidence, she'd come across a book allegedly containing ways to summon demons. It claimed they could perform acts mere mortals couldn't, and driven by utter desperation, she'd bought it. Sure, she'd felt foolish the first time she recited the incantation, woozy from the blood loss. She wasn't sure if the shadow in her room was just a hallucination. But she bid it to stop whoever was duping the older and vulnerable members of the neighborhood out of their life savings. And sure enough, the next day, she and Castro had been called to the first of the so-called clean-up-the-city murders. This demon enjoyed ripping criminals limb from limb and feeding on their souls. Francois knew she'd pay for it in the end, too. The demon wasn't satisfied with just the tainted essence of the criminals it took. In the end, it would also take her. But for now, her deal with the devil meant the streets were safer. The only problem was, she never knew who would be next and what terrible secrets might be unveiled. What lengths would you go to make your city safer?
1: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs,
1: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
0: Sometimes, the biggest devil we come up against are the ones that reside inside of us. And that can even mean battling mental illness. Like in this story, written by Christopher Barron. Content warning. The following story addresses mental health and self-harm my name is irrelevant all you need to know is this i'm a demon specifically the kind that hides under your bed you probably know the rest horns claws zero conscience you've likely heard we consume the souls of those unlucky enough to find us i'm actually one of the best the envy of my hellish colleagues Many unsuspecting humans have been snatched up by my claws, dragged kicking and screaming to my domain, then devoured. But this story isn't about that. It was supposed to be, but something happened to change things. I had my eye on a young adult male for a couple of weeks. None of the others wanted to go near him, sensing he was a troubled soul. He wouldn't be the first I snagged that no one else could. Later that night, I began the hunt. Humans can't see us unless we let them, so getting in was easy. When he finally went to bed, I was lying in wait. That's when I heard it. Scratching, sniffing, panting, but not from me, nor the human. He began tossing and turning. Whimpering, grunts of pain came next. Ah. Now I understand. We were not alone. Another demon was here, but a different kind. One loathed by even my fellow beings. Grey, scaly, crouched over the human who was awake and curled into a ball, crying. This was a demon feared among my own kind. It attacked the mind, slowly over time until one became a mere shell of their former self, a true devil. It fed on fear and sanity, driving people to the edge. Only then would it take their soul. I'd seen it ruin several of my friends. I drew my claws. The demon turned to me and laughed. (laughs) You again, it mocked. Anger took over. I lunged at the creature, but it disappeared it had gotten early dawn's light starting to peek through the curtains I almost didn't want to leave because the human was still crying but I had no choice that thing that damned thing I knew it would recognize me years ago it had haunted me it tore at my mind but somehow I managed to resist I thought I had defeated it that I'd never see it again Yet there it was, and that human, crumpled up and crying, just like it had left me so many times. I felt no joy. I would not allow that to happen again. I vanquished it before. I would do it again. The following night, I was returning to the human's house. I saw him running, screaming. Out of nowhere, a car came speeding into view. The human threw himself in front of it. I looked away, but heard the horrific noises. Something landed at my feet. It was the human's mangled body. I was too late. That thing had finally pushed him over the edge. Once again, it claimed another victim, another soul who didn't deserve it. My work was similar. There's no arguing with that. But this thing was more of a monster than I'll ever be. I heard it laughing. I looked up and saw nothing. The car was gone, the body was gone, the thing had gotten into my mind, toying with me again. I was furious, racing to the human's bedroom. That thing was in a frenzy. The human must have been close to the edge for real. I burst through the door, the male curled up in a corner in a state of catatonic terror. The demon stood over him, raking its claws over the human's head. Its laughter drove daggers through my eyes. Just a little bit longer, it said with glee, and I'll be done with my first course. You'll go hungry tonight, monster. I grabbed the demon, flung it to the other corner of the room. Before it could retaliate, I slashed and clawed until there was hardly anything left. The mess of gore slowly disappeared from the human world but I knew it wasn't dead. I heard a low hiss as it faded, and I knew I'd made a deeper enemy of it than before. I turned to the human. The look of terror on his face had changed to a look of shock. You must learn ways to combat them. Seek help if needed, I said. Others like that thing will be back, but so will I. With that, I retreated under his bed. I no longer cared if I lost out on claiming this human. My mission had become to protect him. My kind has fought that thing's kind. Some have even lost the battle. I would not allow it to happen again. Not on my watch. Have you ever felt like there was a demon possessing you? How do you discern the difference between the supernatural and a scary story? Deep in the lakes of Southern California, lurk monsters so unimaginable, we pretend they're not there or we die of fear. This is based on a true story inspired by Sarah. Last summer, my family took a weekend trip to Elizabeth Lake near Lancaster. My parents rented a beautiful cabin right on the beach. The water was warm and the weather was hot. So when we weren't eating or sleeping, my sister Alicia and I spent all of our time in the lake. I'd heard some creepy legends about the area, and I wanted to find out if they were true. Apparently, Satan himself had created Elizabeth Lake as a place to keep his favorite hellish pet, and that sometimes you could feel an evil presence below the surface of the water. But the scariest thing about the story was that if you swam deep enough, you would find a passageway that led directly to hell. This way, the devil could visit his beloved pet whenever he wanted. If you were there at the right time or the wrong time, Satan himself might be lurking in the waters beneath you. I didn't tell Alicia about the legend at first. Being younger, she got scared very easily. I wanted her to play in the water with me and I knew she wouldn't dare go if she knew the stories. It happened when we were playing with the pool noodles. Alicia wanted the one I had, so she tried to wrestle it away from me. We laughed and splashed around, and eventually I let her have it. But somehow in the tussle, her ring fell off, which she had only noticed when we were drying off on the beach. It was a gift from our grandmother, so she was very upset. I told her I would find it for her, So I grabbed some swim goggles and went back in the water while Alicia waited on the shore. As I swam down, looking as deep into the murky water as I could, I felt a chill jolt through my body. It was freezing now, not like the warm temperature we had been playing in. I had to go back up to the surface and gasp for air. My lungs were like ice. It felt like pure evil, but I forced myself to go back down. Once I caught my breath, I gave Alicia a thumbs up, swimming deeper and deeper, as the water grew colder and colder. All of a sudden, someone grabbed me. I jerked around to see who it was, but it wasn't a who, it was a what. The thing that grabbed me had claws instead of hands, and winged like fins instead of arms. Its face resembled a giant bat with black eyes and prominent fangs. I screamed underwater, but no sound came out. Just bubbles and I started to choke. The bat-like creature plunged me further down into the darkness and I swear I saw it. The gates of hell. Actual, literal gates. Wrought iron. Glowing red. Sinister and unwelcoming just like the creature who was dragging me towards them. I tried to break free Kicking and punching, the monster emitted a terrifying high-pitched shriek, and I went deaf. I couldn't hear a thing, just see the monster's red eyes. I was certain I was going to die. And then everything went black. I woke up later in a hospital bed, my family surrounding me. They gasped when I opened my eyes and I was relieved I could hear them after the terrible screech that had nearly deafened me. I tried to tell them what happened, but they said they found me. My arm entangled in old fishing wire. I'd been held underwater until I passed out. I looked down to see the marks where the creature had grabbed me, but there was nothing there. Literally nothing. My arm was gone. The doctor said the fishing wire had cut off circulation, and that by the time they had found me in the lake, my arm was partly severed and beyond repair. I will never go back to Elizabeth Lake. I warn everyone who I talk to. My family still thinks I'm crazy, but I know the truth. I know it was the creature, the devil's beast that dragged me down, ripped my arm off and delivered it to the devil like a dog playing fetch. Have you ever experienced something you knew was real but no one else believed you? Was it demonic or supernatural? Tell us your stories at something scary at snarl.com.
3: Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie, or better known to fans of horror on TikTok as Stephanie Strange. I'm so thrilled to be taking on the torch from Marcia and carrying on the something scary tradition. I can't wait to get to meet you all. You never know the deadly lengths someone will go to survive when they're backed into a corner like in this story inspired by Kelly. Soledad was a well-known herbalist treating many in the community who suffered from illness. Yet despite helping to heal people, there were rumors she had made a deal with the devil himself to keep her youth and her beauty forever. Many grew jealous of Soledad a myriad of suitors offered their hand in marriage, but she rejected them all. Rich or poor, young or old, not wanting to be someone's prize. One of these suitors was Don Martín de Orcania, the mayor of Cordoba. When Soledad dismissed his proposal, he grew angry and sought revenge. He started another rumor, convincing the townspeople she was indeed a witch. He claimed she had snuck a potion into his drink, causing him to fall in love with her, just so she could refuse and humiliate him. Despite helping so many townspeople with her potions and herbs, they were afraid to speak against the mayor or become victims of the Inquisition themselves. They were driven by fear, supporting the cruel claims that she was a witch. A few still asked for help, but now if they came at all, it was in secret. Soledad became an outcast, which only served to fuel the stories. Children whispered that they had seen her fly over the rooftops laughing ghoulishly into the night. Men, likely disgruntled suitors, claimed she had tried to sneak them love potions as well. Sadly, Soledad was not surprised when officers turned up at her door and she was taken to San Juan de Urtea prison, where she awaited the punishment for being a witch, being burned to death at the stake. While she was imprisoned, Soledad used her charm to befriend a guard. She had asked him if he could bring her charcoal and he unwillingly obliged. After all, what harm could it cause? She drew for hours on the walls of her cell, helping to ease the time of passing. As the weeks went by, she created an incredibly detailed drawing of a ship. And by the day of her execution, it was nearly completed. When the guard came to check on her, Soledad asked him to look at her drawing. Tell me, guard, what is missing from this ship? He studied the wall for a moment and replied, nothing but to navigate to a destination. Indeed, she replied. The guard looked surprised, but placated her during the final moments before her execution. He watched her step into the drawing and then somehow disappear into it. His jaw dropped as she somehow magically became one with the ship, completing the drawing with a charcoal version of herself. The guard stared in shock, as the sketch of Soledad smiled mischievously at him. It must all be true. She was a witch. She had made a deal with the devil. He watched her inhale deeply and blow a strong breath into the sails of the ship, moving the vessel along the wall of her cell. She turned and blew the rest of her magical breath at the guard. He gasped, grabbing his throat, choking on nothing but air. His eyes bulged and his face turned red. His neck bled as he clawed at his throat for breath. He tried to speak to curse the devil-worshipping witch, but no sound came out. He dropped to the floor, dead. Another soul for her master, Soledad breathed more wind into the sails as her ship glided off the walls of the prison and vanished. She was never seen again, nor her cell ever used, as none of the guards dared to set foot inside. Anyone who even went near it felt the cold, icy grip upon their neck and shortness of their breath. To this day, the sound of her ghoulish laughter can be heard echoing throughout the ancient walls of the prison in the darkest hours of the night.
0: This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukowskiewicz and Janine Pipe. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mary Carlson. Produced by Annie Villabos. Music by Sapphire Sadalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends. Sweet screams.